Hi, I'm Marjorie Namora, and welcome to the Desert Island Dishes podcast. This is the podcast where every week I ask my guests to choose their seven Desert Island dishes. These range from finding out about the dish that most reminds them of their childhood, the best dish they've ever eaten, and of course, the last dish they would choose to eat before being cast off to the Desert Island. I hope you're all well and that you've had a lovely week. If you haven't yet left a five-star rating, now is your moment. It makes such a difference, and I really love reading your reviews. This was the first episode we've recorded at my house. Chetna came over armed with Portuguese custard tarts, which are the way to my heart, and we drank tea from teacups, very sophisticated, (laughs) and nibbled on brownies and custard tarts as we chatted with the spring sunshine pouring through the window. I think it's always nice to set the scene a little bit, isn't it? So I hope you enjoyed today's episode. My guest today is Chetna Makan. You may remember Chetna from The Great British Bake Off Season 5, where she made it through to the semi-finals and really stood out for her exciting use of flavor, creativity, and lovely personality. She's gone on to write three cookbooks, all showcasing the food of India in different and exciting ways. She's had her own successful YouTube channel, Food with Chetna, where she shares her love of cooking, all inspired by Indian cuisine. Chetna says... Many people still think of Indian food as unhealthy takeaways or elaborate, tedious recipes to prepare. I want to show that everyday Indian food, as I cook in my own kitchen, can be extremely delicious while being easy to prepare and healthy. Welcome, Chetna. Thank you. So nice to have you on Desert Island Dishes. You've just published your third cookbook, which is amazing because your series of Bake Off was only in 2014. So that's quite a lot of books in a relatively short space of time. Well, now hearing you say it like that, it seems like a short span of time. But actually, it seems like I've worked on these books for so long. Each one of them, you know, took a whole year to kind of get produced, written and photographed and all that stuff. So yeah, it in that sense, it doesn't seem long at all. Yeah, I guess looking back on Bake Off, it must be one of those things where it kind of feels like yesterday, but then also a really long time ago because so much has happened. I think it used to feel like yesterday, but I don't know what's happened. Like suddenly I feel like every time I think about Bake Off, it feels like it was forever ago, but I guess it has been four plus years. Maybe it's the fifth yeah. year. So it's it's been a long time now. So yeah. It's it's fair that it feels, uh, God, uh, in the past. Yeah. <laughs> and so you grew up in India, in Jabalpur, an ancient city in the state of, and I know I'm going to completely mispronounce this, but the state of Madhya Pradesh. Wow, you're good. <laughs> so let's get straight into the first desert island dish. And that's the dish that most reminds you of your childhood. The dish that reminds me of childhood would uh, could be anything, God, anything that my mum prepares or... I just, it is just so many dishes. How do you pick one? It is, I feel bad asking the questions because it is so difficult. Yeah, it is like... But you um, can give us a few. So what kind of thing was your mom cooking when you were growing um, up? You know, um, she would make um, these aloo parathas, which were just um, potato stuffed flatbreads, which was amazing. Her rajma rice, which is red kidney beans, is is just, it reminds me of um, Sunday afternoons where, we, you know, we would have a massive bowl of rajma and a rice and we would just share and, you know, eat together. And um, we always 
always eat at the dining table together. That is, I guess, one of the dishes. But on the Sunday mornings, my, my dad would go out and get uh, sometimes get uh, samosas and jalebis. And it was a combination which we had for breakfast on a weekend. And he would go at the time when they were freshly made so that we get it nice and hot. Um, and those are actually the best samosas I've had in my life. I've, I've still not had samosas better than those. Ooh. And then that would be followed by jalebis, which are the sweet, deep fried kind of uh, um, donut-y stuff, um, which is then soaked in sugar. Ooh, um, <laughs> and that would be just, that would be what I remember having sitting eating together as a family oh that sounds so nice your mom sounds like she was an amazing cook and yes. she was sort of cooking three meals a day from scratch yes and in your book you talk about how she would buy ingredients from the street vendor and what she was making that day which is completely dictated by the ingredients she could find yes Yes, absolutely. And just to tell you that the the street vendor still comes to this date. Obviously, it's a different one, yeah. but um, the street vendors still uh, walk into the you know area where they live, and she still picks up whatever he's brought. So the the that day's dish is dependent on what he has on his um, on his kind of cart, yeah. and it's amazing. I love it. Like yeah. how. <laughs> It's the best kind of cooking. It is the best kind of cooking also because it's already seasonal, yeah. completely seasonal. So if there's been too much rain and there hasn't been, um, say, lots of coriander and coriander is suddenly expensive, so she will buy only little or onions are very expensive. So it all depends on um, it's completely seasonal, yes. which I think is amazing, which obviously we don't do nowadays, do we? No, it's amazing. And I think it also really pushes you to be creative as a cook, which is such an exciting way of cooking. And I guess seeing that from a young age, it kind of helps you to become an intuitive cook, which yes. is really fun, isn't it? Yes, you're right. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about growing up in India, because it must be really interesting now that you have your own children. I know that you live in Kent and that's where they've spent their childhood. How do you think their experience compares to yours growing up? I think the experiences obviously are different, but that could not necessarily be because uh, I was born and brought up in India and they are being born, they were born and brought up here. I think it could also be how times have changed in India as well. So if they were born in India today, I see my niece and nephew who live in India. They obviously are not experiencing what we did as yeah. children, you know. Um, there's no cart at my sister's house bringing vegetables. They go to a mall and buy a, buy all the vegetables from the shop. So yeah. I think it's just the different generation um, experiences. But obviously, living where we do, I do try and keep it as um, similar um, to what I had growing up. Example, cooking from scratch, making meals uh, fresh and going to my local farm shop to buy my fruit and veg. So I'm trying to keep it very similar yeah. for the kids. Yeah. Yeah. So to keep those basic experiences the same. Yes. But you're so right. Like times have changed globally across yes, the world. Absolutely. Like, you can't compare the two, but it must be interesting having cousins in different countries. Yes, it is quite interesting because I've got another couple of nieces who live uh, in the US right now. So yes, it is quite nice to see how different they are all being brought up 
because we all live in different countries. Yeah. And even with the ones in America, like everyone's going to have different accents. Yes. So fun. It's so fun. So you were born in Jabalpur and then you moved to Mumbai when you were about 17 to go to college and then became a fashion designer. So I looked it up on the map and that's quite a sizable distance and 17 is still really young. Is that the norm to to travel and move away at that age or did were you doing something quite brave when you did that? Actually, it isn't the norm. It wasn't the norm. It is the norm now, but okay. it wasn't the norm. God, 20 years. Goodness, it's scary. But it wasn't the norm. And when I did leave home at such a young age, I was kind of one of the only ones in my whole friend circle. None of them had left. Everyone was doing their university where we used to live. Um, so yes, it was a very unusual and quite bold step. Yeah. Yeah. And did you do that because you had your sights set on being a fashion designer and Mumbai was where you had to go? Or did you just sort of have itchy feet and you knew that you needed to fly the nest? No, I I would have done fashion if there was a college where I lived. Okay. It wasn't that at all. I knew exactly what I wanted to do. There were no ifs and buts. I, I think... I was 17 when I left, but I think three, four years before that, I had made up my mind. I want to do fashion and I had looked up and that was one of the best colleges in the country at that time. And, you know, that's how I landed up. So it wasn't very easy to get into the college as well. I had to go and give entrance exam. Then I had interviews. So it wasn't a straightforward fill the form you're done. Yeah. Um, it was quite, you know, it, it was my first interview of my life and I, yeah, I still remember kind of waiting in the area outside the office where all these very, very smartly dressed, fashionably dressed teenagers were there uh, waiting to give the interview. And and I, I, I was wearing a uh, very Indian attire, which that teacher remembers still now. Um, oh, you really? Know, that I was the only one in a very traditional attire. When um, everyone else was trying to be like really fashion Yeah, jeans and shirts. <laughs> and I used to wear, it's not that, but I don't know why that day I really wanted to be traditionally dressed. So yeah, well, it, it obviously worked. Time. You got in. <laughs> <laughs> and with India being such an enormous country, do people tend to sort of travel around and visit different areas? Like, would you would you go on holiday to a different region or is it more localized than that? I think, again, times have changed. Yeah. When we were little, we the, uh, the for our summer holidays, we would just go to our grand's house who lived two hours away. So we would take a train, um, get there, spend the whole month there with our cousins. Um, they all lived in a joint family. So there were loads of cousins our age. And it used to be the best times, absolutely the most amazing memories. Um, but, um, yeah, and, you know, people who could afford uh, holidays could, would go away. Uh, but my dad pro- was a professor and he's retired now. But so we, we couldn't really afford big holidays. So we would just go to our grandma's house and uh, awesome. have a fantastic family time. amazing. Let's talk about the second desert island dish. And that's the first dish that you learned to cook. Now, there are loads. (laughs) And maybe let's blame it on my memory because I can't remember what I learned to cook first. I do remember um, kind of what my job sometimes used to be that mom would be outside doing something and she would say, go and stir it, stir the onions. And I would go and stir the onions and and she would say, which is why I remember it. She'd say, only uh, go and add uh, the tomatoes to the onions. Only add it if they are deep 
golden brown. And I remember getting told off because a few times where I thought they were golden brown, but they were obviously clearly not golden brown enough for her. And I've added the tomatoes, which is why I never add tomatoes to my onions unless they are deep golden brown because I learned my lesson. I was told off too many times. I mean, yeah, that's a big responsibility though. But I guess that is the kind of lesson that stays with you for life. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) But I guess... um, you know, the earlier dishes would be probably probably some kind of dal, I would, I would imagine. So um, but I can't particularly pin one particular recipe that I learned. So does that mean that you were just sort of cooking throughout your childhood and just sort of, you know, you're always helping in the kitchen and it was just part of growing up? So no, I didn't really cook throughout my childhood, <laughs> but I would help. Yeah, and I was um, I was very particular because when I would think, oh, I want to learn how she made this, and if I was cooking that day, uh, for example, and she'll come and add something to it, I would get really upset because uh, for me, the whole thing should have been made by me. Okay, oh, she had the spice. <laughs> I was supposed to do that, so I think that was uh, one thing which I remember very very clearly. But no, I didn't cook much when I was living there because I started kind of cooking, cooking when I left home. And initially I was um, obviously in the, you know, many years I lived in Mumbai. I can't even remember, seven, eight years. I moved a lot from one house to another rented place and shared with friends or uh, all sorts, all sorts. Um, I was a paying guest at one point. So the availability of kitchen varied. Okay which is why my cooking varied. So sometimes I had the kitchen to myself, sometimes I had to share it. So things like that. So yes, I I was, which is why I was cooking a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And something that I learned through researching you you, was that you said, although sweets are really popular in India, most of the cooking is done on a stovetop and not in an oven, but your mom did actually have a portable oven and she would bake you birthday cakes. Yes. But that's so interesting, isn't it? So do, do most people in India have presumably they have ovens now have times changed or is it still stovetops the focus stovetops are still the focus obviously there are more ovens now but depends on the household so some households have oven because they are the younger generation wanting to try like my sister has an oven all my kind of cousins my age have ovens but I guess um, a lot of my mum's friends still don't have ovens. Because yeah, they're not interested in eating cake. Yes. So you don't yes. need... Yeah, it's so interesting, isn't it? And it sounds so silly, but I just, I hadn't really thought about that because you just kind of think of a kitchen as being a kitchen and you don't realise the nuances between kitchens in different countries. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And so you met your husband who was studying medicine in India and then together you moved to the UK and settled in Kent. How did that move come about and how did you feel about it? Well, it was completely my husband's fault. (laughs) Um, So we were both um, studying and we met when we were both in our colleges. And um, and yeah, so we were together many years and then started working once uh, we finished our studies. Um, And I was actually... Um, doing lots of things. So I was styling for a magazine. I was uh, heading a design department in a company. Um, I just started my own label, which I was supplying to stores. I oh, know. Right. Crazy. It was all kicking off. It, is all, it was all kicking off. And then I designed for a couple of Bollywood films, um, clothes. And it, it was just, I was kind of doing everything. And I was, um, I've always been really ambitious and things changed. But at that time, I was really, really ambitious. 
Um, so I wanted to do it all. And um, I had the passion and the drive. Um, so yes, I was doing it all. But then he decided that, you know, at that age when some of his friends were coming to UK for studies and he thought, oh, why don't I go? We didn't really sit down and think. He told me and we didn't really think if he goes and I'll have to okay. go. <laughs> didn't think for a second, seriously. Uh, yeah, yeah. Why don't you go and, you know, try and do your further studies there. And that's it. It was literally overnight. He entered and then a week later, he had to come here. Oh my goodness. And you came with him? Not straight away. Okay. Um, so he was here for a year trying to get, you know, a place um, in the department he wanted. And then a year later, he got the place. And then that's when I joined him. Okay. And had, so had you been to the UK before that? Yes. So I had been to London. Yes. Not to the small sleepy town where we live now. Okay. So it was a bit of a shock. Yeah, a bit of a culture we, shock. Because yeah. so London from, was amazing. Well, yeah. And you moved from one of the most densely populated oh. cities in the world to Broadstairs. Absolutely. Which... <laughs> it was a, it was a big shock. And I did give my husband six months. Yep. I said to him, I moved on 7th November. I, I'm not good with memory, but I remember that date. We moved, um, we flew on 7th November, came came to Broadstairs and he told me it was a seaside town. So it was dark at night we arrived and I said, where's the sea? And he was like telling me in one direction, that's where the sea is, that's where the sea is. But um, <laughs> it was lovely, but it was so cold and things have changed in Broadstairs in the 14, 15 years I've been there. But at that time, the shops would close at five. There was no big supermarket. I, I, it was very depressing because I wanted a cake for my birthday, which was which in December and it just a month after. And I ordered a cake in the local bakery. I will never forget that. And I was so excited because I always have loved cake. So I went to collect it. And I, I, I don't remember ordering that, but she made me a fruit cake. And I hate, oh no, I hate <laughs> <laughs> Christmas cake, fruit cake is not my thing. Is, And I came home and I cried and I was like, oh my God. So I gave my husband six months. I said, six months, we move to a bigger place or whatever, just move from here. But then June, July came and I just fell in love with the place. Yeah. And now it's he can't make me move anywhere. <laughs> it's really strange when you arrive somewhere in the dark, isn't it? Because you just can't picture it. And you're sort of trying to imagine it based on like what you can smell and hear. Then you wake up in the morning and it's just totally not what you imagined at all. Let's talk about the third desert island dish. And that's the best dish you've ever eaten. So, um, as you would imagine, I wouldn't, it wouldn't be easy to answer yeah. this, but then I, I, I sat down and I thought, mm, what's the taste I want to go back and eat again. And maybe three, four years ago, we went to Amritsar, mm-hmm. um, to see golden temple. Somebody said to me, actually the taxi driver there said, I said, Oh, where can I get? Because obviously it's North India, it's Punjab and they're famous for their curries and mostly chicken curries and naans and stuff. Um, I'm going to get really hungry. After yeah. this. Um, and then he said, oh, if you want that, go to this certain place. I can't remember the name of the place. It's a restaurant and like a restaurant, Haba, you know, small cafe restaurants in India. So we went there and that's the best, best butter chicken I've ever had. Oh my God. The sauce was like onion tomatoey, but it wasn't too tomatoey. It was, it had like a kick to it, but it was just the right amount of creaminess and the chicken was moist and just cooked through. And then it was soaked in the gravy. Oh my goodness. If I could go back 
just to fly to Amritsar just to eat that. I, it would be worth it. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That's how good it was. And you just came across it by chance. By chance. That's so yeah. fun. I feel like loads of the stories that we hear are things like that, which just shows some, sometimes do as much research as you can but actually you just have to go with like local recommendations and just risk it don't you? You wouldn't have found that because it was in you know a restaurant on the middle of somewhere in the market it was a bit uh, outside and Mm. oh amazing. That sounds amazing. Okay so it was having children that really ignited your passion and interest in baking. Tell us how you came to apply for Bake Off. So I was a fan of the show I remember uh, my daughter going to school, just starting school or was it nursery? And we were watching the show and at drop off, we would talk to like my friends and me would say, oh, did you watch it last night? (laughs) Do you think the right person went? And I remember it was Frances' show who was the year before us. And I remember talking about it and my friends had a different favorite to myself and we both wanted like the three, four of us wanted different people to win, which was quite interesting. Yeah. So we, it was quite, uh, we were quite, you know, um, I was watching it like a big fan. And then the show ended and, um, you know, they show an advert after that, oh, apply for the next series. So my friend said, oh, you must, you know, you must apply. And I thought for a second and I thought, you know, I I don't even like bake. Like, only thing I baked was cakes. Yeah. Never had made puff pastry or, or you know, hot water crust pastry. And- but, but not only not made them, you hadn't grown up eating no, them. No, no, so not at all. Like, like, such a big challenge. Shoe, like shoe yeah. pastry, just not, <laughs> not at all. So I thought, you know, what worse come to, obviously, I wasn't even thinking that I will get through. I thought, you know, just it has to literally be sent. So I filled in the form and my husband came from work and I said, oh, I filled in the form. Just have a like double check. And, you know, it's best for someone else to see if there's something wrong. And just then I'll press send. And then he looked at it and he said, are you sure you want to do this? Because, you know, because the reason being that for both of us, we... We thought that maybe you will not get selected. Maybe the people they know will get selected or, you know, it's it's a very close group. Yeah. They won't take outsiders. And either of us don't know anyone who has done anything like this ever in our families or friends. Never. We just don't know anybody. So we thought it won't happen. And I said, I know what you mean, but let's just send it anyway. Yeah, and that's it. Nothing, yeah, to, nothing lose. to lose. And you've got to be in it to win it. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> yeah, and that's it. And then what? a week later, I got the phone call. What? So wait, the phone call saying that you could come for an interview. Yes. What? And then did you have to take along something that you'd yeah, so, did? Yeah. Um, so actually I took, um, so yeah, the phone interview was first. I thought that was represent my baking. I don't know yeah. why. But anyways, <laughs> I took lemon meringue pie. Uh, lemon meringue tart. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know why I chose it, but I love, love that eating that, making that. So I guess that's why I must have taken it. Yeah. yeah and I remember, good. yeah, for the savory, because I didn't really make bread at that time. Um, I took some stuffed naans, if I'm not wrong. Yeah. It must feel like there's quite a lot riding on that one one dish, like you're sort of putting all of your hopes on that one thing. It's yeah, I think it was it was it was the case, I think. 
for me, it was the case. But I don't think the selectors on the other side were thinking, oh, it'll all depend on what she's brought. It wasn't like that at all. You hope they're sort of looking at wider. Yes. (laughs) Wider things. And I always think the hardest part must be keeping it all a secret whilst you're filming it because you can't really tell other people. No, no. um, And actually, that was quite hard. Um, keeping a secret. I was part of it. Once people knew I was part of it, nobody really wanted to know who won it because they didn't want me to spoil their surprise or their, you know, they wanted to watch it. So that was easy. But yes, to tell, not tell them that I was part of that show was actually really hard. A couple of my really close friends knew. Okay, because they were maybe the ones that encouraged you. Yes, and also I think I needed a lot of help with my kids because um, they were really little um, and yeah, it was... uh, yeah, it was either it was a juggle. Either admitting to them you're on Bake Off or maybe they thought you sort of had some secret life yeah. that they didn't know about. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about the fourth desert island dish. And that's your favorite sandwich. So this was actually quite easy. Okay. Uh, for a change. <laughs> and it is my toasted Bombay, Bombay, but you know, toasted sandwich, which is, it's just white bread always. And it's got uh, green coriander chutney. A layer of cucumber, a layer of uh, tomatoes, um, some cooked beetroot, and then a masala like a spiced up boiled potatoes, like a spiced mashed potato. Okay. And uh, that is toasted in a toasty. <laughs> Yum. Oh my God. It's so. But, but when you were introducing that sandwich, you said it in a very casual way, like it was nothing. But I mean, that sounds like an amazing sandwich. Oh, it is. <laughs> Once you have it, it's, it is, it is just the best Bombay dough sandwich. And is that something that we can all find in lots of different places or is that a Chetna special? Oh, no, it's not my make. It's, it's the most popular, one of the most popular street foods in Mumbai. Okay, it's a specifically Mumbai, okay. which I think obviously used to be really popular just in Mumbai, but like everything in the world right now, it just spread. And you can now find it in different parts of India, but also in restaurants and cafes over the world. That sounds amazing. Yeah, it is just so easy as well, but it's just the so many layers. Yeah. So is that something that you would make at home or is it it's a bit of a faff to make it yourself? It's not, it's not a faff mm, at, not a, at all. I've actually, <laughs> I actually put the recipe in my second book, well, Jaja Wajani, because um, <laughs> you cannot go to Mumbai and not see it being made because it is literally in your face everywhere. God, it sounds amazing. Mm. So talking of your books, let's talk a bit more about them. It's amazing that you've written three. I have the latest one in my hands right now. Chetna's Healthy Indian. And I wanted to ask you about that, but I really love the idea of your second one, which is all about Indian street food. You talk about how every corner of India has its own food and it's kind of impossible to generalize because it's all so varied. Do you think in some ways India is quite unique in that respect? Well, I would like to say that. Uh, but at the same time, I have traveled a fair bit, but not enough to kind of uh, make a sure yeah. claim. Um, <laughs> I won't hold you to it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but I do think that I think with Indian food, I think um, it is unique in the sense that every, even if you like Madhya Pradesh where I was born, if you think, oh, all of Madhya Pradesh will have that kind of food, it doesn't work like that. Mm. You could go to one town and there's slightly different stuff to what you find in another town. And 
obviously north south east west is completely different but if you just take west for example there is gujarat which is a different cuisine and there's also rajasthan which is a completely different cuisine so it it's can't even be divided into four it's so much more and stuff that i've not had being born and brought up there because for that you would have to travel mm. um and you know i've not really traveled all of india it's like where you live you just think oh yeah i'll do that one day but actually you kind of just leave it and then yeah so i am traveling india more since i've left mm. india which That's is so interesting yeah, so it? every time we go back for a visit we make sure that we see a new place which we have not visited before and um, okay. and that means that the kids can now see india like you know places that we haven't seen either so yeah that's amazing and people do really rely on street food in india don't they because you say in your book that some people really do have it three times a day what are your favorites i know that might be a difficult question but where's the best street food you've had and does a particular dish spring to mind um i that is i can't really choose <laughs> a place where i get best but i think mumbai is kind of one of the best places for indian street food the reason being that with other places like i found in chennai which obviously i had not been before the way i did when i was researching the book they haven't got say you know indian chinese food being sold on the streets or they didn't really have um, vada pav being sold on the streets whereas if you go to mumbai they will have the south indian food being sold as well so mumbai is like london where they are spoiled for choice like there's food from north south there's all sorts of cuisine available so one of my favorites used to be vada pav which is um, deep fried uh, potato ball which is so you make uh, mashed spicy mashed potatoes then yeah. you dip it in gram flour and then deep fry it and then you serve it in a bun a soft roll like you call it here and it's got uh, green chutney on one side which is coriander min chutney and it's got spicy uh, garlic chili chutney on one side and it's the best thing it's carb on carb yeah. but <laughs> you're speaking my language oh Anna. my god <laughs> but it is the most it is the most popular street food in mumbai and um, what's it called it's called vada pav so vada is the round ball and the pav is the bun in which it's oh, served and that is a proper mumbai um you can find it in london in in restaurants have you where's the have you had a really good one in yes london? in dishum oh is that the best yes. dishum oh so good is the dishum vada pav is very close to street food vada um you can find in mumbai Ooh, that's a really yeah. good tip okay and i love the idea of what you're doing with the latest one because did you feel like it was an idea that you were coming across a fair bit that people's perceptions of indian food was unhealthy or that they did sort of associate it solely with takeaways i can only speak about what i see around me yeah. <laughs> and i i did actually find that with uh, the you know where i live with locals and i thought for them it was takeaway and that was all it was mm. and um obviously people are now being introduced and um you can see more on tv or read more books or you know internet not just tv just you know online if you go on netflix or anything like yeah. that you can see all the food so they are getting more and more you know knowledgeable or um, exposed to more indian food but for them still basically indian food means Yeah and what do you think about 
anglicized Indian dishes that we have here. Are there any that you've come across that are authentic or are there any that sort of particularly peeve you that we think are Indian and actually they're so far from from authentic? So I I don't have a, there's no Indian restaurant where I live and all the Indian so-called takeaways, none of them are Indian. They're either Bangladeshi or Nepalese or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, and none of them, not a single dish is a genuine Indian dish, not a single one. And I have to be honest, I've never had a Madras or a Vindaloo. I've just never had it because if I have been to ages ago to a place where for a takeaway, actually, I, I, I haven't been for, I haven't got had a takeaway from where I live. I love coming to London. One of the reasons is there's such good Indian food in London. You, you guys are so spoiled yeah, for that. Yeah, we're so spoiled. Um, but yeah, locally, what I can find, there's not even a single, other than the naan, there's nothing that's okay. genuine. And do you think, but they would say, they would feel like what they were producing was sort of Indian food? Yeah, I think so. They would say, but... Um, yeah, I've not actually never gone there and I questioned them. It's the same thing. I had it when I went to China when I finished school. I just remember being so surprised that what I thought of as Chinese food is so different, even if over there it has the same name as what we're calling it over here, which is completely different. And it just, I mean, it sounds so silly, but it just blew my mind that, you know, it's so arrogant yeah. as, an, as an English person that that's what you think. Let's talk about the fifth desert island dish. And that's the dish you eat the most often. Um, the most often, um, the dish that I cook every single week is tadka dal. Oh, yes. Ev- almost if I'm working from home on a Monday, the first thing I cook on a Monday is tadka dal because okay. I don't know why. I think maybe because you kind of overindulge on weekends. Yeah. Um, and, you you know, kids are back to school, you know, my husband's off to work. And if I'm working from home, then it just kind of, it's like I'm... Like uh, in a nice routine. Yeah, it's a, like I wouldn't have to think. I'll just take the pressure cooker out, put some lentils in. It's just kind of... Um, it just automatically kind yeah. of happens. You're on it's, autopilot. Yeah, autopilot. Yeah. That's it with Tarkadal. It's a Monday Tarkadal. And I'm interested that you do it in the pressure cooker. Yes. Okay. So is that a Chatna secret? No, it's just that's how we cook <laughs> in India. Okay. We cook lentils in lentils and, you know, chickpeas and things like that all in pressure cooker. That's how it's cooked. So okay. um, so what is your secret to a really great tarkadal? I think the tarka, which is the tempering, is the secret to a good tarkadal because you could have any sort of dal as a base. I usually use tur, which is, um, they've got all sorts of names for it. You can have the base of the lentils to be anything. So it could be yellow, it could be the red lentils you cook or the stuff you can find in supermarkets because not all lentils are available in common yes. supermarkets. <laughs> um, so I usually cook tur um, and it's... It's it's just that you cook the dal, which is simple. You put some salt and turmeric and that's done. But it's the tempering, which has to be, if it's ghee, it tastes even better. And then you have some cumin, onions, garlic, tomatoes, and lots of coriander. And then you cook it and put it on the dal. And then you mix it and becomes tarka dal. Ah, oh, so yeah. good. It I'm is quite so simple. good, so simple, so healthy. Yeah. And it's actually really quick to make. Mm. Once you know what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And so that brings us on nicely 
I like to ask people sort of about their desert island ingredients, but I thought maybe we should focus on spices. What are your sort of top five desert island spices that sort of maybe everyone should think about having in their kitchen? So we, uh, most Indian kitchens have a spice dabba, okay. which is a spice box. It's a steel spice, uh, stainless steel oh, yeah. spice box. Yeah. Um, and you have seven, most of them have seven little containers in them the middle one is always the salt because that's used the most okay one is chili powder then is turmeric powder Um, then it's cumin seeds black mustard seeds and then you've got ground coriander powder and then you've got garam masala okay that's a good selection that is a good selection and if you ask me one thing if i had to go somewhere for a week and i had to cook for myself then I would just grab that dabba and take it because I can make any dish with just those spices. Um, I don't need any other whole spices, nothing. But that is the basic. If you have that in your house, then you can have delicious food anytime. Yeah, time. knowing that you have that, you could just transform anything yes. into something really special. Okay, yeah. that's a really good tip. We're on to the sixth desert island dish and that's your go-to dinner party dish. One of the things which I tend to always make it could be a different one but i do always have a chicken curry (laughs) always have a chicken curry it could be a coriander chicken curry it could be uh, a punjabi my mom's style chicken curry or it could be just a tomato based chicken curry but a chicken curry okay and is that because you get most of it done ahead of time or is it just because everybody loves chicken curry everybody loves chicken curry Um, also if I can make it in the morning for the dinner then it sits in the sauces and the spices and it's delicious (laughs) by the time we actually sit to eat so for various reasons it is something the kids like and the grown-ups like so if I'm having a dinner party sometimes the kids are invited to so it's yeah it ticks all the boxes yeah perfect that's what we're looking for and then do you make a pudding always a pudding there's <laughs> Obviously. always a pudding what would you make well my one of the things i like to make is um actually it could be a chocolate it, i would prefer to make a cake but sometimes it depends on the season as well because yeah. um in the winters you don't really want just a slice of cake you want something like warming and yeah it, it's god it could be i love making profit rolls is one of my Ooh you know, one of my top things to make. Um, and just if you fill it with cream, fresh cream. So um, good. And just some chocolate sauce on top. Oh, Yeah. And pr- they feel like such a treat, don't it, they? They do. But actually, yeah. once you, if you kind of make them often, then you can literally just whip them up quite quickly. So it's not... Yeah. I, people get really scared of shoe pastry, mm. but it is just a matter of practicing and actually I find it's easier than other kinds of pastry I think it's easier than other pastries oh I love a good tart I I absolutely love tarts chocolate or you know but um I find sometimes it's a faff like then you know um blind bake it or whatever but with the profiteroles done in the oven yeah no I'm totally with you on the same page so on Desert Island Dishes, we have a cookbook corner. So I wondered, what is your most treasured cookbook? Oh, I'm going to be really controversial, aren't I? So, what is um, it? <laughs> actually, there isn't one particular okay, one. fine. <laughs> have you got a few? Um, no. <laughs> oh, so I, um, I don't have one particular one, uh, which I just like go to every time because 
there are quite a few. Like I've, over the years since working in food, I have collected quite nice, um, some really nice uh, food books, cookbooks. And um, I could make one dish from something um, and I might pick up something else from the other dish, but there's not one that if you actually take away one, I wouldn't miss it. Like, okay, if, yeah. like I wouldn't like think, oh, where's that yeah. one? So do you have quite a serious collection? Not an extremely serious collection, but a decent collection. Yes. 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 How many are we talking? Oh, about? I don't know. I've never <laughs> counted. That's something I need to do when well, I get home. I'm, I'm, I'm imagining if you haven't counted it, sort of we're into the hundreds. Oh, God. No, I don't think. Is it a hundred? Maybe a hundred. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. It's a good collection. We're on to the final seventh desert island dish. And that's the last dish you would choose to eat before being cast off to the desert island. This is the actually most difficult one um you can have several courses i would love that samosa i was talking about from my um from jabalpur oh my goodness now i suddenly want it yeah it's like you're you're gonna go straight from here to the airport and we'll see you just (laughs) oh my goodness that samosa is the best so i would love a samosa i would love um the butter chicken i eat Mm. in amritsar (laughs) some biryani on the side Um, and maybe a lemon meringue pie or a jalebi or something. I don't know. Yeah, but it, it yeah, the samosa. Yes, yeah, definitely. So a, a meal mainly centered around the samosa. samosa. <laughs> <laughs> Just have a whole buffet of samosas. I think that would be delicious. Shatna, those are your desert island dishes. Thank you so much. Thank you. I only went to India last year on my honeymoon, but already I feel like I need to go back. There's so much more to discover. If you're listening and you haven't yet left a review, please do, as it really does give the show a little boost and you will genuinely make my day. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget you can visit the website desertislanddishes.co for all the recipes, lots of kitchen tips and tricks, and you can find me on Instagram at Margie Namora. Bye.